Hey, this is Dr. Shervin. Muskoka Magazine is brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Please visit DairyLaneDental.com. Welcome, you're listening to Muskoka Unlimited on 88.7 FM The Bay and MuskokaUnlimited.com. Thanks for listening. We have a great guest to chat with today. Let's get right into it. Hello and welcome to Muskoka Unlimited on 88.7 FM The Bay. I'm Jenny Cressman, your interim host of this lovely show. Usually Chris Ocuzzi is in the big chair, but I'm going to be here for a little while while he does other things. And I am excited to be able to host this show about interesting people doing interesting things. And my guest today is a very interesting fellow. His name is Jack Hurley. I've known him for quite a few years because of his involvement involvement with Algonquin Outfitters and Canoe Building, and I've known him as a an excellent storyteller. So I think we're going to have some fun today talking about all of Jack's stories, hearing what he has to say about starting with Canoe Building. Jack? Hi. <laughs> oh. Yep, yeah, you're on. Oh, hi. Uh, so I'm Jack Hurley, and uh, <clears throat> how I got started in my interest in wooden canoes uh, my father was in World War II, and he saw some guys die stupid because they had never had any exposure to anything outside of cities. So he sent us to a camp in Algonquin Park, which would be closest to a jungle-type experience that you could find. And I then, in 1960, went to a place called Camp Pathfinder on Source Lake in Algonquin Park. And the key to this is that they had all wooden wood canvas canoes at Pathfinder and immediately on my first portage as a 10 year old following the counselor with the canoe I was struck by how much I loved the smell of the varnish wow (laughs) the smell of the varnish interesting yeah isn't that interesting yeah so they had all wood canvas canoes all of which leaked and no program at the camp to fix the canoes Fast Uh forward to when I was 24 years old through a series of very odd circumstances, my wife and I, the former Peggy Grease from Huntsville, Ontario, became partners with the Swifts at Algonquin Outfitters, and they too had wood canvas canoes, still 50% of their fleet, Uh and all of their wood canvas canoes also leaked. So it happens. That's right. So I thought to myself, maybe I could learn how to re-canvas canoes. Ah. So a very famous man named Clarence Bogues in Dwight, Ontario, was uh-huh. kind enough to show us how to uh, re-canvas the canoes. And then uh, when I left Algonquin Outfitters after seven years, I thought, what, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And I opened up a wood canvas uh, building and repair shop in Dwight, Ontario. And that's Hurley Canoe Works? It's Hurley Canoe Works, is correct. Okay, and so you do, your specialty is wood canvas canoes. And I know that people talk about cedar cedar canvas canoes a lot, but it's not really just cedar that's used in making the canoes, right? No, it's not just cedar, a key Good question, Jenny. A key ingredient into making a wood canvas canoe is the white ash. 
The white cedar is softwood, but you need the hardwood white ash for the gunnels, the sheets, the thwarts, ah. the keel, the inner stem. And an interesting point, mm-hmm. Jenny, is that I got a supply of white ash yesterday, and ah. white ash all over the North American continent is dying. Oh. There were nine billion that's with a B, white mm-hmm. ash trees in North America, and now they are all fast disappearing. So the young canoe builders in our area, I am encouraging them to stockpile the white ash or their careers will be very short. Well, and what is killing the white ash? Uh, most people say the emerald ash borer, but the mm-hmm. guy that delivers my wood is a very stubborn guy, and he insists it's the accumulated effect of uh Acid rain coming over the border from the United States, oh. increasing the pH of the soil and uh-huh. it stresses the trees. So maybe a combination of both things. That could be very true. Yeah. So the young canoe builders may have to sort of shift a little bit and use other woods beyond the white ash if it's not readily available anymore. Uh, there is no alternative. And people question me about this, but they say, well, what about white oak or black cherry or red oak? Number one, they're nowhere near as available as white ash and not as rot resistant Uh or uh, as easy to bend or as beautiful. Mm -hmm. White ash is beautiful wood. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a nice clear grain, right? It's a beautiful clear grain and it's just wonderful to work with and it's beautiful and that's been used since way back in the birch bark canoe days. Oh, really? Oh, Oh, so true. So then the canoe builders around here, whether they are more modern or traditional, like, you know, Chuck Commanda comes to mind because he's building a birch bark canoe now in conjunction with Algonquin Outfitters. There's a program set up at Lake of Two Rivers um, and also going to be at Lake Opiongo uh, where he's helping or he's building and letting people help him with hands on birch bark canoe building. So he would use white ash for that, probably. I think so. I'm not sure okay. what he uses for his hardwood, but I know it was conventional for okay. in the past. And then other people in this area, I, there's a long tradition, and I think quite a lot of people actually building wood canvas canoes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I am so glad you asked that question. The area around Huntsville has the highest density in the world of people making wood canvas canoes. For instance... In Huntsville, there's the Allman family. Uh-huh. There's Dave Connell. There was uh-huh. a, a Northland Canoe, Albert Ma. Uh-huh. And then in Dwight, there's Jack Hurley, Brian Cook, Van, Daniel Van Gelder. Up at Oxtongue, there's the great Jim Spencer. And then in the park, there's Dave Stanfield and Dave Stadden. And mm. the young canoe builders, if I could say, are brilliant. Yeah. They were smarter artistically than I was <laughs> at all points. So but, you've mentored a couple of them, I think. Well, I sort of led Van Gelder into the tradition, into the business, and he's spectacularly talented, as is Brian Cook, who coincidentally has taken over Clarence's Bogue's old shop on ah, Highway 60. Okay, okay, so it's an intergenerational thing. And the next highest density of canoe builders anywhere in the world, Jenny, yeah. is in Dover, Foxcroft, Maine, where there's only two. So this is really a <laughs> unique area. Probably, it is. Probably because of Algonquin Park, who knows? Yeah, yeah. Could well be. and But there's also women involved in canoe building. I remember hearing the name Pam Wedd. Uh, Pam Wedd was a brilliant builder, but she was in Perry Sound, not right 
totally okay. in our area, but brilliant. And then one of the best employees I ever had was a girl named Charlotte Tecklenburg. Cause, oh, yeah. Because women yeah. are more patient and fastidious than men and are willing to repeat the same project or procedure two days in a row where the men all wanted to reinvent the wheel the next day. So women out there, you're great canoe builders. Wow, that's awesome. Are there many women right now building canoes that you know of? I think Pam's retired, but who else? Well, the most famous were the Minto sisters in uh, Midland. And when their husbands and brothers and went off to World War II with the Canadian contingent, they took over the business mm-hmm. thinking, well, we could do this. And May Minow and her sisters ended up building better canoes than the guys. And it's still a collector's item to have a Minto canoe or an Albert Ma Huntsville Northland canoe. Uh-huh. Collector's item. Well, and Jack Hurley canoes, I think, probably too. <laughs> not in their not in their league. Okay. Well, you've also expanded into making other things um, in your shop, like um, wanigans. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the other stuff that you make as well? Well, we make these wanigan boxes. We stole the idea out of Wooden Boat magazine <laughs> years ago and improved upon it. We got carpenters yeah. said, why don't you do this and do that? But historically in Canada, the wanigan was used as a box in the canoes with the uh, trappers and explorers and voyagers to keep their uh, food from crushing right. and floating. These boxes would float in the rapids. Mm-hmm. But now it's like for yuppies in their modern condos yeah, and stuff like that. Hide their blankets. Like in having a little yeah. canoe in your home. Yeah, because it's curved. So the bottom would fit nicely in a canoe, but it looks very artistic when it's sitting in front of your sofa. That is so correct. <laughs> yeah, you do wonderful work out there, and your your shop is open for people to come and and say hi and and see things or not. It's like a museum. I have two or three thousand pictures on the uh, walls, and uh, there's no bad time if anyone ever wants to pop in for a tour. No bad time if okay. I'm there. If you're there, yeah. That's so right. they just drive up. Um, and where in Dwight is it? And it's on 1277 Dwight Beach Road. And okay. if they want a tour, no bad time. I love doing it. Well, and I, I like looking around your shop. I've been there a couple of times because you have so many interesting photos and other things on the walls. It's just plastered with history and memorabilia. And I think that's so cool. It's very eccentric. Yes. <laughs> okay, well, on that eccentric note, we're going to stop right now and have a little break. This is Muskoka Unlimited on 88.7 FM, and I'm chatting with the infamous Jack Hurley about canoe building, and we're going to get into a whole lot of other things, too, in the second half of our show. We're going to just take a little break now for commercials and that sort of stuff, and we'll be right back. I'm Dr. Shervin from Dairy Lane Dental, and you're listening to Muskoka Magazine. Hello and welcome back to Muskoka Unlimited on 88.7 FM, The Bay. This is Jenny Cressman, your interim host of the show, chatting with Jack Hurley. Now, Jack is renowned for his canoe building and his storytelling. And during the break, we were talking about um, some someone we should have mentioned in the first half. We were remiss when we were talking about all the different canoe builders in this area. So can you tell us a little bit more about the fellow you were mentioning to me, Jack? Uh, Leading into that, I'd like to say an interesting thing about all the people that are in the wood canvas canoe business 
is everyone really gets along well. And if someone comes up with a good idea or has something that will mm-hmm. help the others, uh, I'll call someone and say, have you ever tried this? Or have you seen uh-huh. this problem before? Someone calls me and says, do you have any leftover cedar? Or do you have some ash and stuff like that? It's a real collegial group. Nice. But nice. you were mentioning, I did forget uh, to mention Rick Nash, the great Rick Nash, who lives south of Dorset and has built uh, birch bark canoes his whole life, exactly uses the same tools and methods that the natives did. He goes off in the bush around Dorset to get the birch bark, etc. Uh-huh. Now, for the celebration of Canada 150, the government of Canada commissioned Rick Nash, a very eccentric character on Highway 35, to build a canoe de Nord for uh, the big celebration, wow. the largest of the birch bark canoes. And uh-huh. he had to smash out the back of his shop to have room to huh? make the canoe that long. Well, how long was it? I'm not even sure how okay. long they are. And the uh, government of Canada sent a big trailer over to bring the canoe to Ottawa. And Rick and his wife got to go and they met Prince Charles. And Wow, and, wow. And, if you, and he was disappointed that no one ever popped into his shop Huh. to uh, watch him when he was doing it. Actually, oh. some Japanese tourists found him. <laughs> okay. And uh, he's the ultimate storyteller and character if you ever get south of Dorset and want to have a nice experience. Okay, okay. And so he, would that, can you be on display somewhere now? It's on display and I think it's, is it called the Museum of Man in okay. Ottawa or Hull? I can't remember where it is. All right, so people could go there to see it and if they're also interested in canoes and want to learn more about the history and different types, they can go to Peterborough too, right? That is so correct. Yes. An interesting point I would like to make, the CBC had a contest some recent years as to what the national treasure of Canada was and they gave examples for people to pick from like Niagara Falls or the Parliament buildings or the Kootenai Mountains. Canadians wrote in mm-hmm. the canoe. The canoe. I tell my customers they wrote in the wooden canoe, but that's a small lie, right, Jenny? <laughs> well, yeah, but I, it's it's still a good story. <laughs> and when I meet Europeans, they say every country has something distinct about it. When they get out of Pearson, right away they're blown away on the 400. How many people have these things called canoes on their car? Yeah. Whereas in the States, it's mostly kayaks. But Canada... Wow. It's da canoe. Yes, yes. Yeah, well, my husband and I sometimes play a little game. I was like, what type of canoe is that on the car going by? He's very good at it. I just say, it's a red one. <laughs> it's very good. Good <laughs> Works for me. That's good canoe identification, Jenny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but people can learn at the Canadian Canoe Museum in Peterborough if they want to see more and learn more. And you were also telling me about um, somebody else that you wanted to mention regarding canoes who has a bit of a story and a bit of a connection to this area. Roy McGregor. Yes. So uh, during COVID, everyone had different ways of dealing with it. For instance, I don't have, I'm not out in public ever and I'm by myself, but still we felt the COVID blues and my wife and I would swing up to Cash Lake back and just feel relaxed, right? But the most interesting story I was heard was Roy McGregor, uh, and he posted online or something like that when he really felt depressed and uh, 
from the whole COVID thing, because he's an outgoing person that would see lots of people, he would stagger to his garage door and open the door and stagger into the garage and not that he was drinking, just saying he was depressed, <laughs> depressed. and okay. look up at his Northland canoe uh-huh. that he had uh, tied to the ceiling so that you could see the ribs and the planking. And he said, all of a sudden, a great feeling of calm came over him. So that's that's nice. a great story from Roy McGregor about yeah. Albert Ma. Yeah, Albert Ma was a builder for Northland Canoes. That is so correct. And some people would know Roy McGregor as a journalist or an author, but he also was a cousin of Don McCormick, who um, passed away, unfortunately, not that long ago, and it was very well known here in Huntsville. But that sort of leads into another topic that we were going to get into. You've developed a thing that you call floating tombstones. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, uh, years ago, I've always had a problem with the modern day funeral. In fact, I might have a book coming out on this subject in the not too distant future. (laughs) I'll look forward to it. Something very popular that I've had people do is they'll have me build a canoe and then uh, the person's, the deceased person's name goes on the deck of the canoe. Ah. And then the canoe goes up to this camp in the park and for there on into in perpetuity, the family gets to see where the deceased canoe went each year and they make a map and put a different colored magic marker on for each year and it goes right down to the grandchildren and great-grandchildren as to where Grandpa Dick's canoe went or Grandma's Mary or something like that. Yeah, It's a floating tombstone program. Okay, so you've done how many canoes for them? Uh, About 50. Really? Wow. And And a lot of them are floating tombstone canoes. And that's... Camp Pathfinder. That's Camp Pathfinder. Which you had an affiliation with. That's right. Yeah, and where we'll actually be going soon together as a memorial for someone from the Swift family who passed on, and you have built a canoe for her, I think, haven't you? She she has. Her name is Wendy Swift, Mm -hmm. and she has a floating tombstone, as does her uh, husband. Wild Willie Bill Swifty. Yeah, mean dude, as some people yeah, know the him mean as. The dude, so they have, uh, they both have uh, floating tombstone canoes. Okay, and so maybe they'll go on trips together. Yeah, they will. Yeah. In fact, they'll be paddling together at her funeral tomorrow. Okay, and so are they different colors, or how is that, or how do they, or they just have the plaque on to identify them? And the name? sometimes not a plaque. For yeah. instance, the last three of floating tombstone canoes, uh, the person's name was carved into the center thwart. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and so there are no other camps that are doing that kind of thing. No, no, not to my knowledge. No, okay. Well, that's really that's a really cool thing that Camp Pathfinder has done. And your uh, your affiliation with them over the years has been also like with Algonquin Outfitters. We just have a few more minutes. Do you want to talk a little bit about the inception and how you and Peggy met? I think it was because of the Swift family, because of Wendy, wasn't it? it? Years ago, when the Highland Inn ceased to exist, people were still sending requests for canoes to the park. And Dave Wayman was the deputy chief ranger. So he and his wife said, uh, I think we should start a canoe trip outfitters. Mm -hmm. And Bill Swift then joined in with them and the two became partners. And my wife, Peggy, started working with them when she was 13. And I worked at uh, Pathfinder. So Swifts, the Swifts were inveterate matchmakers. And that's how I was able to uh, get together with the former Peggy Greaves 
sister of the famous Mike Greaves. Right. Okay, so then you started dating uh, while you, and you got married and started having kids while you were living in a cottage right beside Algonquin Outfitters with no running water, as I recall the story. That is so correct. <laughs> I, I can't imagine how Peggy did it. She was amazing. Well, it was great because we were partners and at the place and you're young and... Yeah. Who cares about a flush toilet when you first get married? <laughs> right. Or washing diapers out and <laughs> or wherever. anything, right? <laughs> yeah. And so you and Peggy must have gone on some amazing canoe trips together over the years. Is there one that jumps to mind as being a particular standout? Actually, that's a good question. Uh, my favorite trip is going down the uh, Nipissing River right on oh. May 1st. And Peggy said she'd like to try it. And her girlfriend and her husband were there. And yeah. Uh, the first morning we woke up on Big Bob Lake and there was four inches of snow ah. and it hailed the whole way down the river. Terrible conditions, but there's nothing like the Nipissing River in the springtime and she got to do that and yeah. uh, better than going to see the pyramids. <laughs> Did you take a canoe trip before your your honeymoon? Uh, yeah, we had, we've had we had lots of trips, but you asked which was yeah, the best the, one. Sure. Do you remember where you went on your honeymoon canoe trip? Well, that's a good question, Jenny. <laughs> we started at Kiosque and then went yep. down to Radiant and up the Crow River to Lavier and then finished at Opiango and got picked up by one of the Swifts. And were you in a wood canvas canoe? I don't think I've ever gone anywhere not in a wood canvas canoe. <laughs> There's no greater experience in life than yep. paddling a wood canvas canoe on a mill pond lake and looking at the cacophony of colors and the smells, and they're not that hard to carry like everyone thinks because if you use a tump line and carry it on your head, whereas going down a Kevlar canoe is like paddling a linoleum rug down the river. <laughs> Sorry, Bill Swift Jr. <laughs> Just kidding, Bill. Yeah, well, there's lots of different strokes for different folks. So. That's so correct, <laughs> there, Jenny. There's value in each type of canoe, even the, the Royal X or Royal Light. I call them the Rubbermaid tubs, but they're great in whitewater. <laughs> you are so correct and very political. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, politics. Okay, Jack, Politically we won't get correct. going on that. <laughs> no, we'll, no We'll stay politics. away from politics. So we're just about wrapped up. We have, you know, 30 seconds. Any final comment? Uh, yes. Lots of people come into my uh, yard with a canoe, my age, I'm 72, with a canoe on their car, they want to get fixed. And I say, I know why you're here. You want to fix your canoe up for your grandchildren because it's such a screwed up world and you want them to have something special and something Canadian from the old days. There you go. Very good. Thank you very much for coming in, Jack Hurley. This is Jenny Cressman saying goodbye for Muskoka Unlimited on 88.7 FM, The Bay. Thank you. You've been listening to Muskoka Unlimited on 88.7 FM The Bay or www.muskokaunlimited.com. Stay tuned for more wonderful episodes on our show.